High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, white hats, black hats, gray hats, script kitties, oh, and an extra special shout out to the rest of you hackers out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. You left a part in my brevity today, guys. I've been having issues all week with my computer. I'm really not sure what's going on. I think we kind of dismissed that ghost during our Halloween episode. At least I hope. I promised to do horror films, and last week we did Christine. Anyway, hold on. Let me just put in my password. High school. Just everything's just really glitchy. Doesn't matter. We're gonna get through the episode. I promise, and it's gonna be an awesome one. Speaking of Christine, how'd you enjoy it last week? Walt Hickey was awesome, wasn't he? I bet you'll never look at an old-time car the same, or one of those driverless Ubers. Oof, scary. <laughs> and for this week, did you watch Hackers? How cool was Hackers? Oh. I can't wait to talk about it. But before we dive in with friends of the program, Cara Gale O'Regan of Wistful Thinking and Mike Manzi of Third Time's a Charm, I need to remind you guys of, you know, the really important stuff. To like us on Facebook, High School Slumber Party, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast: iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. And of course, you can listen to us, as always, on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And don't forget, maybe the most important thing, tell a friend about High School Slumber Party. It's like lending your best friend gym shorts when he forgot his pair so he doesn't get a zero. I don't know. Make my all-nighters feel worth it, guys. Please. (laughs) I'm just happy you're here. Don't worry. But come on. Tell a friend. That's odd. The bell wasn't supposed to go off for another five minutes. Hold on. Uh, I have an email. Maybe it's about all this. Overdraft to my account? I just put my paycheck in. What the hell is going on here? Look, guys, I might have to meet you at the slumber party and cut this intro short. I need to figure this all out. So, pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's. Because... I don't know, barring any other strange technical difficulties. We're about to get our party on. I leave you with a song by Orbital. Halcyon on 
and on. Class dismissed. Hack the planet! Hack the planet. <laughs> this is an APB going out across the internet. I was saying hack the planet a good ten days after <laughs> I saw this movie. And Mike, of course, you and I went to go see this at the Alamo Draft House. Kara, unfortunately, you did not, but you were missed. You were missed. Oh, well, thank you. There were so many moments when I looked at Mike <laughs> and I was like, Kara would love this. <laughs> Just real quick, they showed a 35mm print of the net before Hackers, no which was way. really cool. A trailer, yeah. Oh, man. This summer, Sandra Bullock is caught in the net. Yeah, that was the first moment I was like, Kara would love it. I would have loved that. <laughs> You're right. There was another moment that I was like, wow. Wow, this is a Kara moment. Uh, I'll have to check back in my notes. So both of you guys have been on my podcast before. Why don't you introduce yourself in the classic high school slumber party model? Mike, as a senior statesman, why don't you go first? <laughs> as the elder classman? Well, let me just take a swig of Jolt Cola, put my copy of Neuromancer aside, and pause my Prodigy CD. But do, but, you, uh, do you have your cyber boy on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually feeding my Tamagotchi in the corner. Um, but... <laughs> Mike Manzi, I guess tonight alias Trace Caller. <laughs> oh, good. Say your hacker alias. RHS, class of 97, go Maroons. What's up? I'm back. I am Cara Gale O'Regan, uh, emotional amoeba, and uh, I graduated nice. from Lakeland Regional High School, class of 2005, go Lancers. Thank you guys for coming on. I have not thought of my hacker name yet, but I will. How? How did you not even think about this? Come on, man. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I relate to more of the, the uh, feds in the film. <laughs> oh, really? <What>? No, <laughs> no. Come on. I'm kidding. This explains although, so much. Although, Brian, we were we were very surprised as to who played one of the feds in this. Mm. And then there's, um, then there's a Cage Club favorite returning oh, here. Oh, so many actors I was surprised about who were in this film. Shocking ones. And we'll discuss the cast a little bit later. But of course, the film we're talking about today is 1995's Hackers. 
And as mentioned, you and I, Mike, caught it at the Draft House in Yonkers. And you know, there was a pretty sizable crowd there. Yeah. What was it, like a Tuesday night or something? It was a Monday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like Monday night at 9.30 at night. You know, it wasn't like an easy show to get to or anything. But like, yeah, everyone was really into it too, right? Like there was great sort of response from the film. And uh, it played really well. It just flew by. And something I've noticed, I, I don't know if you posted, Mike, but I know I posted it on social media that we were there that we were on a field trip and I got a really good response I even got contacted by I guess a podcast that just talks about hackers <laughs> this movie has a lot of staying power which is somewhat ironic because I think it only did like 10 million in theaters and it was out of theaters in two weeks which is insane to me the host at Eleanor Draft House, he mm-hmm. was really, really good. And he pointed out like all this like great stuff before the movie. But I have to say, watching it there was amazing. I was so into it. But watching it at my home, a mm, little less cool. <laughs> I feel like I saw two different films. I enjoyed both of them. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I saw like two different movies, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's two different experiences. It's same movie. It's just, you know, you got sort of two different reactions. I mean, what you should have done is streamed it off the dark web from your phone. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the ultimate experience nowadays. But no, I agree. Like, there's just something, the camaraderie of being in the theater. Everyone, you know, when you go to the draft house, like everyone wants to be there. Right? Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And this film definitely has cult status. And, you know, this is pre Matrix, you know, world of computing. And, uh, like, you know, hacking was, you know, fairly new to the mainstream in the 90s. So, like, a lot of this is guesswork. A lot of it is style. A lot of it is, you know, fantasy. But, like, something about it, just, you're right. There's a staying power. It captured something about the moment. And I just love this movie every time I see it. <laughs> Um, so I want to get this out of the way. For those of you not familiar with Hackers, I do this every week, but I could not find the back of the DVD or the back of the VHS for Hackers. So I'm reading off the back of a Blu-ray cover, which feels sacrilegious, because it doesn't feel like a Blu-ray film. But here goes. This is our world now. The world of the Electron, and the Switch, and the beauty of the BOD? BOD is a computer term. Okay, easy. I'm not cool enough for that. (laughs) The Mentor, the Hacker's Manifesto. While practicing the tricks of the trade, a neophyte, in quotes, hacker, accomplishes the nearly impossible. He hacks the highly secured computer at the Ellingston Mineral Corporation. But in doing so, he unknowingly taps into a high-tech embezzling scheme, masked by a computer virus with the potential to destroy the world's ecosystem. And when the young hacker and his pals are targeted for the crime, the group must launch a massive cyberspace attack, one that will hopefully clear the names and prevent an ecological disaster. (laughs) By launching the careers of Johnny Lee Miller and Academy Award winner Angelina Jolie, Hackers became an underground hit instantly inspiring music and fashion for the brand new internet culture that has been even hailed as prophetic in its use of computers and hacking. So the first thing I notice is that the young neophyte hacker is not Johnny Lee Miller. It's Joey. What's that about? You rarely see the back of like, the DVD or the VHS cover like talk about someone who's not the main character in that kind of way. Yeah, isn't the story like, you know, after... You know, committing a crime as a youth, uh, you know, Dade moves to New York and has a run-in with a bunch of like-minded hackers, (laughs) you know, framed for, you know, like, 
what is this? Like, this is a weird, <laughs> that is weird. Yeah, the first time I've ever seen this happen on the back of a DVD cover. Mm. Well, it's interesting that that happens, because every time I watch this movie, I'm like, it would be so much more interesting if it was about literally anyone else in this movie. Like, (laughs) you know, like, Freak is an awesome character. Whatever Angelina Jolie's name is, she's really cool. (laughs) You know, Matthew Lillard is great in this. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to see a version of this movie that stars anyone but the guy that is the main character because yeah i feel like they build up dade so well in that first shot you know when he's like a little kid getting committed to that crime but then he's just like a he's just so dull like he's a blank and i think he's too much of a blank you know i know we're supposed to sort of live vicariously through his eyes but like we're not elite hackers and he is and i just wanted more personality from him mm-hmm. so that was tough yeah this that i will agree with that i picked up on that before i, I always thought of him as more of like a robot uh kind of uh, and then you know got all of his colorful crew around him sort of complement that we see this a lot in films though right where they have this main character who's like i don't know like bland right and he's like a centerpiece and like everyone around him is just dressing for whoever he is. You know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I've definitely seen it a lot. He's just an image, right? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, he, he's the uh, poster boy, right? He's got the rollerblades, the peroxide short hair, you know, he's got, like, the long-ass wallet chain. Like, he looks the part and everything like that. So that's supposed to be enough, I guess, to get by. And to a degree, for me, I guess it is because of the support around him fair fair i can understand that so next question i guess is were you guys hackers as teens or like in high school did you did you hack your way through the hallways or what was your tech level i guess growing up i was an extremely online teen and youth i grew up with computers in the house because my dad worked in it so he would like have them sitting around at work and bring them home and we always had the internet and we were like I think one of the first people in my town to get high-speed internet. But I wasn't doing anything, like, cool on the internet. <laughs> I was mostly digging around on, like, live journal and stuff like that. I wish that I had, you know, fallen in with a cool hacking group, but that didn't happen. Awesome. So when was the first time you saw the film Hackers? Oh, I, a long, long time ago. I don't remember it specifically but I remember seeing it like many times as a kid so like fairly soon I think after it came out and and when I watch it now I have so many friends that like grew up in New York City and I'm like is this what it was like growing up in New York City (laughs) like I just assumed that everyone was you know at cyber cafes and roller rollerblading around and causing havoc this is a very New York film. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious that like a lot of it was shot in New York. I was surprised. I didn't realize that this was. And New Jersey. The opening scene that like says Seattle, 1988. That's New Jersey. Oh, really? Yeah. When I watched it recently, I was like, mm, those houses look familiar. And it's like Hackensack. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how about you, Mike? When was the first time you saw this film? And what's your overall history with the internet? Yeah, so... Like, growing up as a little kid, we had, like, the old Apple II in the house, you know, with the big double floppy drives, and it was just like a glorified word processor for our family, I guess, you know, an electronic typewriter of sorts. Uh, And then we got a couple games, like King's Quest games and adventure games and stuff, but uh, never really, like, 
dug around in the computer. I was more of a video game kid. And then, you know, like in high school, like we didn't have dial up until like 95, 96, like when this movie came out, I guess. And you were already 40 at that point anyway, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, you know, so. (laughs) (laughs) But no, so like, um, but I remember like the first time I ever went on the internet was at my neighbor's house. And, And the character in this movie, Lord Nikon, reminds me of my old neighbor, Chris. Like for some reason, they just are very much alike and like he would just be in like chat rooms and stuff and like you know we would just go explore chat rooms and that's all there really was I think in 1995 around uh, around there and yeah it wasn't really integral to my high school experience I didn't get you know high-speed internet until like after the matrix came out right so uh I'm still a novice online like I don't know how to access the dark web and all that I can't even like pirate movies, um, you know. So I'm indeed no hacker when it comes to this. So when was the first time you saw hackers? I had a, or still have a close friend who saw this in theaters and was like really into this movie and was like hyping it up and everything. And I didn't get to see it until it came out on VHS. And I remember like watching it in my room. I might have been just like extremely baked at the time. And I just remember like this movie just like washing over me and like kicking so much ass and just like being like so awesome at the time. Uh, like you said, I think it's a it's a New York movie. I'm really surprised how much I get that feel from it. It's a high school movie. It's like about like computers and hacking and that whole thing. Like I had no idea about that world. Um, when I was like 14 or 15, it just, I was like a punk, you know, it just wasn't on my, I wasn't a cyberpunk. I was like, <laughs> I was a dirt punk. Uh, it's a whole different, like I was very analog those days, like listening to f- records and seven inches and stuff. And so I found like the whole world of neon rollerblading, you know, and like all that kind of stuff, like pretty cool at the time. So I hadn't seen this film like since the 90s, since it came out. I mean, I didn't watch it in the theater, but I remember distinctly watching it at a friend's house it was in like pay-per-view or like request whatever it was called at the time and not understanding anything of what was going on but thinking it was so freaking cool you know and in regards to my history of computers or, or the internet i mean everyone knows with the speed that i edit this podcast that i'm not exactly what they call tech savvy but still i used to love computers as a child you know i I used to go on them all the time i know we used to like pretend we were hackers if that makes sense not really in high school but in middle school we used to go on like napster and download like hacking programs i don't know if you guys are familiar with punters yeah yeah i mean punters would just kick people off the internet Mm -hmm. now that doesn't make any sense but back then when you were on dial-up Oh my god, to be kicked off was like the biggest death nail you could ever get. So it was pretty fun, but we didn't know what we were doing, and that's definitely the furthest I got there. I also remember being a 12-year-old downloading the Anarchist Cookbook. (laughs) Oh, Oh, who among us has not? (laughs) My friend had a print copy. I can't remember how he got that, but... It couldn't have been too effective because if that many high schoolers and middle schoolers had copies of the anarchist cookbook, well, today anarchy does not rule. So, <laughs> well, yeah, my gen- let's let's just—I mean, my generation was not motivated in the least. Let's just say that about us. <laughs> but yeah, I certainly never got to the level where I would call myself 
a hacker. I'm realizing now that I undersold my technological experience. I actually worked in an Apple store for four years. Oh, um, oh you may as well be acid burn compared to yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. That's what I realized as I was listening to you guys talk. Um, <laughs> I am not elite, as it were. No, it's, it was actually, I, I a lot of times did uh, like data transfers from people's old computers, their new computers. And that actually involved a surprising amount of hacking because no one fucking knows what their passwords are. It's a nightmare. <laughs> Um, like a lot of times, you know, people were getting a new computer because their old computer wasn't working right. So we would have to like take them apart and pull the hard drives and like do all sorts of kind of crazy shit. So yeah, I've worked in technology, both in that capacity and then also like in IT firms and stuff like that. I don't have any like real computer skills though. I can use computers very well. I can talk about computers, but I still can't hack the planet and, uh, uh, it disappoints me. But if any one of us was going to have the ability to hack at least a portion of the planet, Kara, <laughs> it would be you. A tiny European commonwealth. <laughs> you know where I come in is I do the, the legwork. Like, I'll go dumpster diving for passwords and, uh, like, hooking up the phones, like, climbing up the phone poles for you and things like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, but I, that's really interesting in those movies. Like, everyone kind of has their own skill set. And so, mm-hmm. like, they all work together to accomplish a goal. And that that's definitely true, like, in technological circles. You know, there are people who specialize in InfoSec, which is uh, what people might know as cybersecurity. There are people who specialize, like, in this movie, Freak specializes in, like, tapping into the phone system and manipulating that, which is not really a thing that people do anymore, I don't think. But, like, so you can have, like, a different skill set and still contribute to hacking the planet and or a small European commonwealth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So this film was very heavily researched. I mean, like, really researched. The writer, I think his name was, yeah, Raphael Moreau, he started attending well-known hacker meetings at the Citigroup Center in Manhattan, and this hacking group was so popular that even, like, the media started to go to these meetings. Well, obviously him, too. Um, So he integrated himself with the group, wrote the script. The script got really, really popular, and it got picked up by a studio. And this studio was really hot on the director, who ends up directing, Ian Softley. He had just done a film at Sundance called Backbeat. Not sure if you've heard of it. No. It got a ton of buzz, though. And, by the way, he would later go on to do films like K-Pax and The Skeleton Key. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so he's a really hot name. Um, He pretty much took control of the project after that and made it his own. But before we get to, like, the cast, Mm -hmm. I found it so interesting that this was just one of a bunch of like, internet or computer-related films that came out in 1995. And Hackers was actually the first that was filmed, Mm. but the studio held it back. Wow. And, like, they wanted to see what the other movies would do, like, how they would perform before they, like, released it. And honestly, a lot of people say that that's why the film didn't do as well as it did, because people were, like, overloaded with it. But a lot of the movies are very relevant to us. Like The Net starring Sandra Bullock. One yeah. One of my very favorite movies of all time. Absolutely. The first Wistful Thinking film. And, you know, that was the highest grossing one of that group. Okay. I don't know if it had the staying power of hackers, but maybe to some people. <laughs> you know what? I think a lot of this was 
being sort of kicked off around is, I mean, uh, at the time, and it's hard to imagine now, but, you know, the, the major cyber threat of Y2K was looming in all of our minds. Like, we actually thought that that was real. And yeah, but so, this, this was, like, way know. before that. Like, the Y2K scare didn't really start happening until, like, 1999. It was like a very kind of last minute I, thing. I, I feel like I feel like this might have kicked off some of the techno panic. Actually, oh well, or sure. Like people that. are always techno panicking. Like <laughs> the level of of comfort that people have in technology. Obviously, there's always that kind of like suspicious thing to it. I think also um, the Terminator movies contributed to this as well, as mm-hmm. far as like oh yeah, definitely um, artificial intelligence and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, this definitely contributed to. I think this is like one of the more positive yeah, absolutely. examples that uh, because like the net is all about fear and this movie isn't really based in fear. It's based in teenagers having a good time. It's kind of a Scooby-Doo movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. But Y2K didn't happen until like much later. And Carrie, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the thing about how this is like a positive movie. That's why the filmmakers of Hackers weren't too complimentary of the mm. net. Because they said, we made a positive film where our heroes, yeah, they're hackers, but they're hacking to literally save the planet, you know? Yeah, and which is, like, a a lot of hackers are, like, ethical hackers or white hat hackers, and then there's, like, the scary black hat hackers that, that are what people think of when they think of what hacking entails, which the vast majority of the population like can't really wrap their brain around it and think that it is just like typing a bunch of things into a computer and making things happen and it's like more complicated than that but like the people who use hacking for evil are a very small minority of people hacking things yeah i i feel like i feel like hacking has a very negative like public image mm-hmm. you know like you just hear the term and you know media has sort of de- demonized them from the beginning even though they're not all bad people but there are bad apples of course in any bunch but uh yeah so i think like that just has that going against it too and i think even to this day like when you hear hacker you know at least at my age it just you know it just something sort of you know that's like a sinister thing or something but no like it doesn't have to be no a lot that. of the like really high profile early hacks, like the the one that they show in the movie of um, what the kid did when he was like a little kid, uh, like stuff like that did really happen. And a lot of times they were just exposing security flaws. Like they weren't trying to steal money or do anything nefarious. They were just trying to demonstrate how many holes there are in our systems and and exploit them not for gain but to educate really and to to make security taken more seriously which it still isn't uh yeah and i was doing some research and it said that hacking wasn't even illegal till 1986 yeah and they they cite that law in the movie when they're like charging him with computer something something crimes act of whatever I don't know what it's called. Computer Hacking Act of 1986. (laughs) (laughs) And it's crazy because, like, even they showed in the film, like, some places didn't even have, like, passwords Mm -hmm. protecting them. And, you know, even the ones that did, they were just, like, little words, like, Mm couple-letter words. God, sex, Which is true, and it's still true. Like, the (laughs) amount of, like, when people did give us their passwords, we were like, what the fuck? You know, some people would have, like, really weird ones. 
noodle surprisingly common. <laughs> really? Yeah. Noodle. What? Noodle. Note to self, change password. No. <laughs> I mean, you should be changing your passwords anyway. They're probably not strong enough, and you should be changing them uh, periodically as it is. Kara, do you have any suggested passwords for our audience? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but what you can do, and I encourage all people to do this at all times, now that we have these things called smartphones, at least on the iPhone, I can't really speak to the security of Android apps, but on the iPhone, you can download like password keeper apps and they'll either use like your fingerprint to to open it up although I don't trust biometric data and I don't think you should either or you can set a pass like a master pass password for the password manager so you can always refer back to what your password is and many of these apps have a password generator and so you can set like the number of characters that you want it to be and it will generate a random password of you know uh lowercase and uppercase letters, numbers, and also symbols, which is the most secure kind of password that you can use. You know, I think I feel secure because I don't know if I have enough money for people to want to steal. You know, but to be fair, it's a false it's, sense of security. Yeah, and it, it, like it's, um, it's always more complicated than people just like stealing your money, you know? Like we see this in this movie, or we see... It attempted in this movie, and it also happens in the net. Somebody like hacks police databases to like add warrants out for somebody's arrest or whatever, and then after the person gets arrested, they want to like disappear them, and so they'll delete the file of that person ever having existed, which is like mm. probably not as easy as these movies make it seem. But it's you know about more than just stealing your money. The other password tip that I will give is if you're using an app or a service that has two-factor two authentication, you should always turn that on, which is a, a, like a more of a pain in the ass to log into things, but it is more secure. Good to know. Mm -hmm. This is an educational podcast, so we definitely appreciate it. Always. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, so real quickly, before we begin, I wanted to mention all the other, I guess, hacker-esque or internet-y movies that came out in 1995 mike you'll know this one johnny mnemonic yes real quick about johnny mnemonic we did cover that over on keanu club but i feel like a reason that movie didn't do uh, i mean it was I, I, listen to be quite honest it's not the best I, <laughs> I enjoy it a lot but like look it's not a great movie i'm sorry you know it's uh, william gibson short story is a lot of cool stuff but there's actually two cuts of that film there's a japanese cut which is much more of like a hardcore noir hmm. Uh, it's like slower, softer, less action, you know, more more Japanese language actors and stuff. And then there's the American or the cut that the rest of the world got. So I'm, I still have to see the Japanese edition, which I hear is much better. So hmm, Good to know. And the other movie, by the way, besides The Net is, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called Virtuosity. Oh, with Russell Crowe and Denzel. Yeah. I've not. Like, Russell Crowe is an amalgam of every serial killer turned into a artificial intelligence that becomes, oh, like, no. a living hologram, and then, like, Denzel has to chase <laughs> him around. Oh, you know what? I did see that, like, very long time ago. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, also, I feel like Lawnmower Man. Is that the movie Ooh. that I'm thinking about? That's kind of like mm -hmm. that, that also came out around this time? Yeah, that's got... Um, 
Pierce Brosnan mm-hmm. is like experimenting on Jeff Fahey, I think, is like his lawn mower, like the guy who mows the lawn, but I think he's also like got learning disabilities. So he hooks him up to virtual reality right. and like enhances yeah. his brain. And then he like becomes like a god or something. Well, that's not a problematic storyline at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Not at all. <laughs> I think that that one was more of a showcase for like cutting edge CGI special effects yeah. kind of things, like a lot of moments in Hackers, for instance. Actually, those moments in Hackers, not CGI. Like a lot of it was like motion controlled models because oh. the computer graphics that they would have been able to generate at that time would look too ridiculous. Which I mean, like this movie looks pretty ridiculous too, but it's I think it it actually consider it like. If you think about it as, like, this is a movie about technology made in 1995, it should be a mess. And it actually, like, holds up really well, and it doesn't look as ridiculous as it could have. Yeah, and I read that the director actually did that on purpose, because he wanted the world that we see to be a metaphor for what the hackers see when they for lack of a better word, go inside a computer and do something. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It does not look that bad. It doesn't even look like stop motion-y, you know, or like a model-y. It just, I don't know. Yeah. And I feel like they made a good choice doing this over like shitty CGI. And I feel like this had such a, aesthetically had such an effect on the movies about technology that came after this. Like I haven't seen The Matrix since it came out, but I feel like the The Matrix draws heavily on some of that imagery. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the code filling up the screen, Mm -hmm. you know, that gave me a big Matrix vibe. I mean, even just the idea of them being like a like an underground crew, like hacking into the phone lines. And so, yeah, I'm getting just some general hacker sort of tropes carried over. Yeah. But they weren't tropes till this movie. Ah, You know what I'm saying? Actually, like it was one of the goals of the production to make hacking and computers Less nerdy, for lack of a better word. And by nerd, I mean like yeah. you're like movie stereotype nerd. Yeah, Revenge of the Nerds, nerds. Well, they succeeded because at one point I actually wrote down, God, she's so cool about Angelina Jolie. So, nailed it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, th- I think they did a really good job. And they said they would go like visit these hackers when they were doing research. And they're like, wow, these people aren't like uncool or nerds. That it was actually a pretty awesome subculture. Mm. And that's really something they yeah. want to show on camera. And you know, like I, you said, I think they did a good job. <laughs> so let's dive into this cast, right? We have Johnny Lee Miller, who plays our lead. And I know him from this film because he married Angelina Jolie like right after this. But also he's like a bootleg Sherlock now. <laughs> Well, now, now, yeah, he he plays modern Sherlock, I believe, and Lucy Liu is his Watson. But oh. um, around this time, I knew him from Train Spotting, yeah, which yeah, Train also Spotting. has a kick-ass soundtrack. But and that's that's all I really knew him from for a long time. I I kind of felt like he got lost in the mix after this movie, but yeah, yeah, he was in he Dracula is. 2000. Oh, really? Hmm. Apparently, like I said, lost <laughs> in the mix. And of course, we have Angelina Jolie. Uh, might sound surprising now, but she was nobody's first choice. She was largely cast due to her chemistry with Johnny Lee Miller. I mean, they obviously had chemistry. They got married after. But they got paired up a lot auditioning, so it just made sense. Other people, though, who were up for the role were Hilary Swank, Heather Graham, Liv Tyler. Okay. And, uh, oh, Katherine Heigl, believe it or not. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe because I've seen her in it, but Angelina Jolie is so iconic to me in this role like her look her acting yeah i was talking to my friend jenny about this specifically her in this film 
And she, like, pointed out that she looks so, I don't know, like, Star Trek-y in this role. Mm-hmm. She really mm-hmm. does. She looks like a Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's great. And even just, like, her makeup is great in this. She has, like, a lot of really interesting eye makeup looks that are fun. Yeah, I feel like the way these characters look is so, I don't know, like, it feels like ahead of its time or, or I don't know, for, like, a 1995 film, you know what I'm saying? Well, they're also eccentric, and it gives them the opportunity to, like, push their wardrobe and their Mm -hmm. personalities you know like uh, that's one thing I really like is like when you sort of meet them all for the first time they seem intimidating but then like they're not like when they go meet Nikon for instance and he like looks all tough but then he's like he softens up right away and you know um, and same I feel sort of with serial killer like at first he's like coming in sprouting all this stuff and and he's looking at you know Johnny Lee Miller all side-eyed and then he just like borrows some eats some fries and loosens up it's like I don't know it's really cool how there's like layers to them but they could also really just sort of express themselves as characters like through their looks so well yeah no for sure and you're mentioning all their cool hacker names and again I really 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 regret not coming up with one for myself but we should note that Johnny Lee Miller who plays Dade his hacker names are Zero Cool slash crash override and angelina jolie of yes. course is acid burn yes and they wind up as a couple crash and burn what oh. <laughs> huh. uh, but the next character i want to talk about though is someone who really struck a chord with me and that character was phantom freak he is the best i love him so much i want a movie about him he's amazing and he's played by an actor named and i'm sorry if i'm butchering this Renoli Santiago. He should be a household name. Yeah, he's great. So he's in another high school film, Dangerous Minds. Oh, yeah. And apparently he's also in Con Air. Oh, yeah. No, he is. He Yeah, he plays the... Um... Unfortunately, he plays the transvestite prisoner who's like sort of prancing around the, the plane for some of the movie, but... Yeah. So I hope you guys don't mind me getting on a soapbox for a bit. Oh, please. By all means. Okay, so every week I like look for promotional art for the film... Or just, like, good images. And, well, okay. Well, I'm not calling what I do art. I just put words over the images to promote the podcast. I was really, really bothered by the fact that no promotional art, no posters, nothing like that has Phantom Freak at all. No way. He's, like, the pivotal character in this movie. And I've talked about representation a lot on this podcast. And... As a Latin person, it's extremely disappointing that they decided to, like, eliminate him. He's one of the most pivotal characters in the movie. Like, there are plenty of photos of the entire cast, promotional ones, that just exclude him. There's no reason why some lesser characters were called in to take these, and he wasn't. Look, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. It's just... You know, it was something that was fairly common in this time period, and it's something that I even noticed growing up, and especially looking back now. They tried to portray the world as, like, quite literally black and white Mm. and nothing in between. You rarely saw representation from Hispanic characters, or even Asian American characters, especially when it came to, like, marketing stuff. It's odd to me. And rewatching this movie, like, a couple times now recently, it's it's just so crazy. One could say he's like the third lead in the film. Oh, yeah. It's just so disappointing because he's such a fun character. And you know what's interesting, too? They don't hide from the fact that he's Puerto Rican in the film. No, not at all. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just so weird to me, you know? 
Yeah, that's fucked. Sorry. Yeah. Rant over. No, but I mean, that was a good one because especially since this film also feels like it is trying to be inclusive because like you said, there's the there's the Asian Americans who like are hacker elites as well, you know, and there's Lord Nikon who's African American and, you know, Angelina Jolie who's the female leader of the group and it seems like and, you know, Matthew Lillard who there's something going on with him that's great. It's just awesome. You know, he's so flu- gender fluid in this movie. Like, you know, I don't even see that these days in film. So it's very strange that they wouldn't push that more with the promotional stuff. It's odd. Yeah. I just think it's like the filmmaker's intent first, like the studio's intent. Oh, yeah. The marketing department is a whole separate, like, arm of things that, like, do. Like, I mean, those are the people who write the back of the the back of the VHS or DVD covers without ever having seen the movie. Like (laughs) it's a whole other thing that has nothing to do with the filmmakers usually. No, it just, you know, it just sucks. It does. It definitely sucks. Now we've mentioned Matthew Lillard a couple times. I'm glad to have you on Kara due to the research you've done on your own podcast. You're the resident Matthew Lillard expert. (laughs) I am. I watched so many of his movies. As I've stated before, I think he was one of the greatest actors of his generation. <laughs> um, maybe not so much in this movie, but he doesn't get a whole lot to do. He, however, does wear an amazing Lou Reed sweater that I love. Um, his whole vibe in this movie is something else entirely, and I love it. And he was one of the older um, cast members of the high schoolers, believe it or not. Oh, they did this funny thing that they do sometimes in other movies where they have like sort of an older person playing a teenager where they call Johnny Lee Miller kid a lot in this movie. Like lots of people just call him, hey, kid, or yo, kid, uh, just, you know, I guess to implant it in our brains that he's only, what, 18. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because Jesse Bradford, who's in the film, is only 15, and he's the youngest of, like, our crew. He's the only actual high schooler of of all of them. And he was going to be the lead until they cast Johnny Lee Miller. And I'm assuming once they cast Johnny Lee Miller, they decided to cast the other actors closer to his age to make it more believable. I mean, I guess if they cast Jesse Bradford, they would have, like, skewed it a little bit younger, but, you know... It makes more sense if Johnny Lee Miller is your lead. But I read something interesting that, that happened on set. Matthew Lillard and Jesse Bradford became like close friends. And Matthew Lillard being the oldest, Jesse Bradford being the youngest. Lillard really took uh, Bradford under his wing, and he was like his mentor. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I thought that was like really nice to hear. Yeah. Well, when I was researching some of the Matthew Lillard content that we did on Wistful Thinking in the month of February, I read that on the set of Serial Mom, uh, which was his first or second film uh, by John Waters, Kathleen Turner plays the lead in that movie. And he saw that every single day when she showed up to set, she said, like, she said, hello to every single person on set, like, regardless of their role, knew their names, knew things about them, like, asked about their kids and stuff. And so he asked her why she did that. And I forget her reasoning, but it made sense. And it was really nice and sweet. And so he apparently is a joy to have around on set. Awesome. Yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. So he took that from her. Yeah. So just a refresher, what films did you actually see and do for Whistle Thinking? Oh, good question. What did we do? Oh, we did Scream, which is excellent. 
and then I watched all of the Scream movies, even though he's only in the one, and all of them are great. <laughs> um, and then we did SLC Punk as the second yeah, movie. Yeah, okay. Um, but I watched a ton of other stuff, uh, Serial Mom, like I mentioned. A movie that came out a few years ago that was kind of boring because it was just a play that was made into a movie, and it like has three people in it, and it's all in one room, and some other stuff. Can't quite think of them right now. So you guys can get a good Matthew Lillard education if you head on over to Wistful Thinking. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Who else is in this film? Oh, Lawrence Mason plays Nikon. I like that character because he's got the photographic memory. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. And Hence the cool name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I didn't <laughs> um, pick up on that. Yeah. He's, he's walking, when he's walking through sort of the, uh, just the office buildings, just looking at keyboards, <laughs> memorizing passwords. <laughs> uh, the next guy we should talk about is The Plague. Mr. The Plague. <laughs> yeah, Mr. The Plague. Elliot, isn't that his his character's real name? Yeah, and he plays like what he works for like the big corporation, but he's actually secretly a hacker and he's trying to, you know, sabotage the environment. Yeah. Oh, he's so the he's worst. like the chief security officer at this uh like mining company or oil drilling company. Um and I think that like all of these kids probably grew up to be one of the like you know what i mean like they either fucked off to silicon valley or they are chief security officers like (laughs) corporations making millions of dollars a year and of course he's played by fisher stevens who also has a very famous role in another technology-centered film short circuit oh yeah yeah yeah, short circuit (laughs) and short circuit too they double dipped on that yeah and he plays an often cited problematic role as He's not an Indian or an Indian American, yet he plays one in a short circuit. But to be fair, he's spoken about this, because obviously he's been called out about this. And when he was cast, it wasn't an Indian character, but the studio changed it to be an Indian person. He didn't want to lose the role. They asked him if he could do an Indian accent, and he said yes. How embarrassing. Oh, Oh, God, so bad. (laughs) But he's around. He, like, guest starred in Friends, and I've seen him in other things. Yeah, he he had a pretty cool run on Lost. Uh, Mm. Oh, who was uh, he on Lost? He was on the freighter. He was, like, a crazy scientist whose mind kept, like, drifting through Mm -hmm. time and said a bunch of cryptic shit and then just died one day. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Hmm, that's interesting. And then, of course, his accomplice uh, is played by um, oh, Lorraine Bracco from The Sopranos fame. Mm-hmm. Or Goodfellas, I mean. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. fair. Goodfellas. I know, she's Dr. Milfi. And I don't want to blame her for this. I'll blame the script, but oh, God. Ugh. Oh, it's so bad. And half her lines are like repeating the other character, just being confused. Rabbit flu shot, someone talk to me. A rabbit uh, replicates till it overloads a file, then it spreads like cancer. Cancer? What? What? I don't understand. <laughs> what? Somebody talk to me. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> flu shot, rabbit. <laughs> Brian, I don't know if you could tell more so when, I mean, when we saw this at the draft house, I picked up on it so much that uh, I, I picked up on it again when I watched it on demand, but like so many of her lines are like ADR'd, mm. where like oh, her yeah. back is turned and they're like, we need to <laughs> either have her say something more or explain something or something more needs to be going on. Well, I read that they had to ADR a bunch of stuff in this film. 
if it was like apparently inaccurate to true hacking. Mm-hmm. Like they brought in experts after the fact, but you see her like that a- makes sense. ADR lines like where she's just repeating something that the character just said. I don't get it. She's not the one saying super high techy lines. Yeah, or she'll say something like "Get it done, or you'll be sorry." <laughs> like it's not like you know technical. Uh, let's see who else is in this film. Oh, there's Penn Jillette yeah. from Penn and Teller. That was kind of random. I love how the Gibson that runs that company is like they sit inside the computer. Mm-hmm. Like it's <laughs> like if you just because like you think how powerful like Angelina Jolie's little laptop is with like the impossible graphics cards on it and everything like that. But then you think of how powerful their computer must be if they have to sit inside it. It's like an old. Well, it's a like, mainframe. So se- it's like it's different than a regular computer. Okay, but I mean, it, it, it reminded me of like, oh, it's so powerful, they needed one of those like 70s computers yeah. that takes up yeah, the whole yeah, room yeah. kind of thing, and they sit in it, and like, uh, that was cool. It reminded me of like a battle station from Star Wars. Yeah, definitely. Definitely has that feel. So Wendell Pierce played that head Secret Service agent? Yes. Yeah, so he's a two-time Cage Club uh, act. He was in the terrific It Could Happen to You as uh, Cage's uh, partner, they were police officers together, and then he was in The Runner as well. I know him from The Wire, but he's also in that like HBO New Orleans show, what was it called? Treme? Yeah, yeah, Treme. He's a big New Orleans guy, and honestly he's a really awesome actor. But there was someone else in this film, and in the theater, Mike, I looked at you and I'm like, is that? Is that? Yeah, I think it is. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Mark Anthony? I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he plays like a more sympathetic Secret Service agent. Trust me, I was really surprised to see a young Mark Anthony. And I like how he's like undercover a lot in this film. Oh, I love I love that about his character. Like I, I never picked up on that until like recently, recent watches that he's the guy spying on Joey at the bench, that he's at he's at Angelina Jolie's party. And I think he might be on like <laughs> ecstasy or something. <laughs> well he seems like the one Secret Service agent who like empathizes with them well no he's the one secret secret service agent who understands like how computers work because especially at this time like computers hadn't like really fully penetrated the workplace in the way that they have now where we literally can't do anything without computers like a lot of companies most people still didn't necessarily have a computer or if they did they mostly just used it for like word processing and email and like people barely used email still then so like in a lot of workplaces if you are identified as a person who knows how to use a computer then like people go to you for all of the technology things I speak this from experience and I so I think he is like he's their computer guy and he like he has to deal with all of the technology stuff because no one else really like understands it that makes sense. I could see that. Yeah, he has that one line where he said, we got to him before he could, like, wipe the hard drives. And Wendell Pierce looks at him like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. And he's like, we, he's like, uh, he didn't have time to erase his shit. And he's like, oh, okay, we'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> the only other person I was going to mention in this film, did you notice Felicity Huffman at the beginning? Yeah. Very topically and somewhat ironically, she plays, like, a lawyer at the beginning, you know, with this, like, college admission scandal that she's involved with the prosecutor at the beginning of the movie so crazy so crazy 
And before we do like a scene recap though, I want to address two things that really struck me in this film. The first one was the fashion. Mm, it's great. Love it. And I love yep. the fashion in this film. And it's really funny because they screened this movie for like actual high schoolers and they were like, yeah, we don't dress like that, but I love the way these people dress. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was yeah. fun. Yeah. You know what it kind of felt like? Like um, when I watched The Fifth Element... Mm, um, yeah. Like that movie was, yeah, because yeah, yeah. like famous, like very famous designers like designed the wardrobes of those in that movie. And, and this kind of feels a lot like that to a degree where it's like, it's not really what people wear, but it's really not far off. Like if you could pull this off, it would be awesome. So the prompt that the wardrobe department got was don't dress these kids like kids dress today. Dress these kids like kids will be dressing 15 minutes from now. Now, obviously not literally 15 minutes, but, you know, like like a futuristic look mm-hmm. in a sense. And I really think that the look of this movie has contributed not only to, like, cyberpunk fashion then, but even cyberpunk fashion today. Now, I've only been to one rave in my life, but I'll <laughs> tell you this, like, they looked a lot like the uh, cast of Hackers, you know? So I think you're right. I think, like, the culture sort of latched on a bit to the the hyper color or the Gore-Tex or just the other fabric, you know, like it just looks like armor, some of this stuff. And you want to gear up if you're going to go rollerblading and then to like the internet cafe, I guess. But yeah, at one point Angelina Jolie is wearing this like long sleeve turtleneck white racing suit. It's amazing. So amazing. Yeah. They almost look like a biker gang sometimes mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. Mike, quick question. You don't consider high school slumber party a rave? (laughs) (laughs) A little less ecstasy, but that's it. (laughs) I don't know. I guess that's the uh, kind of atmosphere I want to create. Uh, It's a little. I mean, we're getting there. It's a little more subdued. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing I was going to mention is the soundtrack to this film. It is awesome. You know, it's like. I think we talked about it, Mike, but they ended up releasing three different volumes of the soundtrack, and The Prodigy is featured very heavily on it. And I wanted to mention that because the lead singer, Keith Flint... Yeah, he just died. Oh, yeah. He just passed. So sad. But I, I don't know. Like Traditionally, this is not really my music, but you know, I'm into it. Like I just want to like code and shit when I listen to this mm-hmm. music. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I don't know the first thing about coding... But I feel like to this music, I'd be a coding genius. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like I like stereo MCs. I like Daft Punk, but like I don't know EDM or any any of that kind of stuff. But I like when I like the good version of that stuff, and I feel like this is all sort of choice cuts in this movie. We get like a lot of the best of the best at the time, I think. And you know, I definitely listened to a lot of songs off this soundtrack on YouTube over the past week and been like exploring prodigy and and other artists of this type so yeah i definitely was getting back into it i just love when a film can communicate its message and its vibe with a well curated soundtrack Ugh, i just love it yeah i'm a big believer of like if it's not the right music don't give me any music at all so i think that this is like the, the like absolute perfect music in this movie i love the opening song like the transition it's like one of my fa- it's like one of my favorite in like modern films is just that the opening title transition when he's flying over new york and the music kicks in and it goes from actual new york city to like this 
like computer inside like you know the computer digital representation of new york city and it's like look like you know it's it's the same i don't know it was just everything just flowed really well with the imagery and the music and everything oh yeah no couldn't agree more i definitely want to like buy this soundtrack now Maybe you can find it on Laserdisc. <laughs> I think one of the soundtracks is the actual score, too. So, like, a lot of this is, in, is like, an actual composer doing music for the movie. So I know, like, during the sort of, like, contest that they have, like, that music, I think, was part of the actual score, not, like, a pre-existing track or anything. So they, it actually brought a lot of cool new music to the scene, too. So were there any early scenes that really, I don't know, spoke to you or touched you in a certain way? Uh, there was one that touched me in a uh, inappropriate and uh, upsetting way. Ooh, um, do tell. It's after uh, Angelina Jolie tells uh, What's-His-Face about the pool on the roof, and so he goes up there. By the way, such an idiot. You mean I'm, I'm not in your class? No, you're not in my class. Give me time. Hey, you know? Yeah. How about the pool, Kate? Pool? Yeah, there's an Olympic-sized swimming pool up on the roof. Take the stairs over there. Yeah. Sure. Thanks. Kate, hold the door! No pool. Oh, oh my God. He found the pool. Who cares if there's a pool on the roof? <laughs> That's the oldest trick in the book. They shot this at Stuyvesant High School, and apparently that was like an old trick that seniors used to play on freshmen in their like former building. That there was like a pool on the first floor, and they told people it was on the sixth floor. I don't know. It's stupid. Anyway, he gets caught in the rain. He comes back inside. He is soaking wet, and he sees her again, and all of a sudden... and. I think that this is the only time that it happens in the movie. It like jump cuts to a clip from some black and white movie of a man strangling a woman from behind. Ooh, not yeah. good. And I, yeah. this was the first time I noticed it and was like, uh, excuse me, what the fuck? I, I like, I understand like somebody's played a prank on you. You're upset. You want to kill them. But like the way that it, the movie did that and then never again in the entire movie does it do anything like that and it's only this like one clip of violence against a woman that i found um disturbing didn't like it yeah yeah i noticed that too and i i was like what is that doing there and then i felt like it was a holdover from From all of yeah from that little hacker battle that he had where they were using all of that sort of uh, found footage, not found footage, but all the clip footage and stuff of different, you know, dueling and things. And I was like, I think the editor just got a little... 
which that sequence is amazing it's like it's such a clever way to add all of this action into a sequence where people are just typing on a computer like i think that that montage works really well and then the fact that it like continues either like use it throughout the movie or only use it there and not like in this one other spot where it's just an excuse to show a woman being strangled because that's not necessary. No, certainly not. No, but that would have been a great device to keep up throughout yeah. the entire movie. That would have been, that's a missed opportunity. And Kara, I'm really glad you brought up Stuyvesant in high school because it's such a perfect high school, like the way it looks in the inside. I mean, like for this film. Yeah. As you alluded to, there's an old Stuyvesant High School building and then they moved into this new building, which had to be pretty new when this film came out. And it just, it looks so good with the fashion and, I don't know. And not to mention that it's one of the top schools, at least in New York City. It's like a school for actually very smart people. STEM school, like uh, science and technology and stuff, right? Yeah, and it adds to the believability of the film. And what I like about that is, well, I guess if you didn't know better, you might think that these kids were like super special kids, or even like it was impossible that they were able to do this. But during their research in the film, Secret Service agents would tell them that high schoolers in that day knew more about computers and more about like the internet than they did themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's still true. <laughs> I mean, if you watched any of those like Facebook hearings or anything in, in uh, Congress, like, Jesus. Yeah, no, that's definitely still true. Have you done other high school movies in New York City for the podcast? I would imagine so. Yeah. But, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to have to check my list. You know what else I was thinking about? Because uh, you're, I think, referring to the scene where he makes the fire alarm go off. And yeah. Spray everyone. Have you watched either of the fire festival documentaries that have come out in oh, recent I watched months. the Netflix one. Okay. So they talk about this in both films that Billy McFarland, the guy who is like the mastermind behind all of this nonsense. I like the way that they cover it in the Hulu documentary better because they make more of a case that this is like, he's a lifelong grifter and he's actually in that one. And he's talking about how the first time that he realized that marketing and technology could come together in a powerful way, they had these like weird little electronic typewriters at his elementary school and he hacked them to like hold the class ransom basically. And I was like, Oh, it occurred to me while on this watch that, like, I don't know, maybe he would be one of these kids or, like, he would be <laughs> the kid that these kids wouldn't want to hang out with. Yeah, that makes total That's sense. crazy. Like, we were just playing Oregon Trail on our computers. <laughs> I mean, our computers were, you know, they couldn't, they were not powerful. There was no hacking. I mean, I don't even think our school had a modem in grade school or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it is kind of enlightening and a little scary when... When, like, Dade is, like, changing his class schedule and then you hear about the kids last year who changed their grades, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you guys hear about that story recently where they were just using that sort of, like, type trace technology and, yeah. you know, were able to just get into their high school grades I feel and, like you know, there's give themselves A's? some variation on that story every few years. Like, and this is so true of, like, hacking culture in general 
that, you know, like they'll patch security updates or like come out with new technology that's supposedly unhackable and then the hackers figure out how to hack it, you know, and it's just this ongoing march into the future of trying to patch security holes or like come up with new technology entirely. And then there's always someone on the other side trying to break it. Oh my god, I'm so sorry, I don't know what happened to the episode. I guess we're going to have to have a part two next week because I can't seem to continue it. Oh no, I need tech support. <sighs> Could it be? Could it be that we're being attacked by a hacker? Guys, I'm so sorry. This is so unprofessional. I don't know how this could happen. Ugh, I'm really stressed out. Look, no new movie. We're just going to continue the Hackers episode. I'm sure I can salvage it somewhere. So if you didn't see Hackers, rewatch it. Obviously try to get John Cusack to unblock us. Kara and Mike were great. We're going to... Obviously they'll be back next week. I really don't know what to say, but in the meantime, you can check out their shows on cageclub.me. That's Wistful Thinking, Third Time's a Charm. Remember, Fridays are for fun, so you're going to get Tom Tom Club. That's Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, all the other great shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Oh, and of course, my other show, P.S. I Love Hoffman. I'm so sorry. I really don't know what to say. I'm trying to even find a song to play us out, but there's only Elvis songs in my iTunes, and... A song called Voodoo People by The Prodigy, Public Enemy, and Manfred Mann. Let's just go with that one. Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.